All right, welcome back to another episode of Walk on Red Shirts. Today we have Cole Curtain Guy Shooty. Many of you know him from over at First and Goal. Appreciate you joining me, Cole. Oh, thanks for having me on, Jake. For everybody that knows, Cole has been doing First and Goal for, I don't even know, two years now? Two years, yeah, headed into the third season. Third season. So if you're not listening to them already, you should be heading over there and listening to them. Everything is also on the website. walkonregisters.com under podcast you can find all their all all their old episodes right there and anything that is new will also be posted there uh today we're going to talk about the big 10 uh reason i had cole on here is i've known cole for a while cole is also an ohio state fan but is very knowledgeable about the big 10 uh we both live in big 10 country so we get to see everything from a little bit firsthand perspective so, you know, starting off, Cole, uh, what's your overall perception of the Big Ten this year? I think it's a three-team race. Um, I think everybody has their expectations throughout the entire conference. I think there's a lot of programs that have new coaches that feel like they might be in the running. If you're talking about Nebraska and Matt Rule, you're talking about Wisconsin and Luke Fickle, and I can understand that. But when you take a step back and you really look at talent, and the actual true ability to win the conference, I think it comes down to the big three in the East. It's Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. And anybody outside of that is just more or less a road bump to one of those teams winning the conference and getting to the playoffs. Yeah, I think everybody's on the same page with that. It's Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State. One of those three is going to be the Big Ten champion, and they're also going to be the representative in college football playoff. And then maybe one of the other ones sneaks in, just like Ohio State did last year. So looking at that, Michigan is the clear-cut favorite. Uh, Big Ten Media Day, they they were voted to be the champion. Weren't unanimous to where the people that voted for them for, uh, I think, Penn State and Ohio State to be champions. But Michigan's made the playoffs two years in a row. Have yet to win a playoff game. If they don't do it this year, wh- when's it going to happen? If I'm being completely honest, and and I know there are many out there that listen to us that, again, like you said, know that we're Ohio State fans, but this is coming from a completely neutral perspective. I'm not sure when Michigan will do it if it's not for this year. This is their best team since 2016 and probably their most legitimate chance to win a national championship since 2006. Um, They bring back 81% of their returning production, and that's including – four guys on the line that has won back-to-back Joe Moore awards. You bring back Blake Corum, you have Donovan Edwards, you have JJ McCarthy. Um, You know, there's a lot of key positions in the defense. You have Will Johnson coming into his own. Um, This is, this is really it for Michigan uh, because I'm a big recruiting guy, as you know, and when you look back at their other classes, you know, 2023 was they were ranked 17th 22 they were ranked 9th 21 they're ranked 13th that's kind of where they always fall so they've done a really nice job of developing talent but they don't really have those blue chip recruits to kind of get them over the edge when they don't have absolutely loaded uh senior led teams like this yeah i i agree i mean even harbaugh was making comments that jj mccarthy was you know, a generational quarterback for him. And if he is a generational quarterback, in all likelihood, he'll be going to the NFL draft next year. We, we've seen that you don't necessarily need an elite quarterback. I used to have some I still don't like him. So he'll be a <laughs> hater. Not going to change. 
but it certainly makes your life a lot better when you do have an elite quarterback. Um, you know, I think last year was more of an anomaly having Max Duggan and Seth and Bennett play each other in the national championship. I think moving forward, you're going to see a lot more of the uh, traditional top tier quarterbacks that are going to be playing for a national championship. So I think it's got to happen. You've got Blake Quorum, you've got Donovan Edwards, you've got an incredible line. These guys aren't going to be there next year, and you're going to be replenishing basically the whole team. So it feels like a really a now or never situation for Harbaugh. Absolutely. And you've come so close already. Like you mentioned, you haven't won a playoff game. And last year really felt like that time to at least get to the national championship. I think we all could admit that probably weren't going to beat Georgia because Georgia just plays the game that you do just better with better athletes. Um, so that loss to TCU, I think really stings for them. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm, like I said, I'm with you. I, I think this is, this is the year it has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it needs to happen this year. Uh, and, you know, I'm flipping to the other side, that rivalry, Ryan Day. Played great against Georgia. Lost the last two against Michigan. How important is that game for him this year? I think it's extremely important. I think some people have gotten ahead of themselves with believing that if he loses up in Ann Arbor this year, that his tenure at Ohio State is done. And to those people, I would say, you're out of your mind. The dude is 45 and six in his first four seasons at Ohio State. And if we're being very realistic with ourselves, is a missed field goal and a questionable incomplete call away from playing in three out of the last four national championships and most likely winning the one last year. So he's right on the verge of it for a dude that is a head coach for the first time. So I think he has that program running in the right direction. And I think he's simply figuring it out as he goes. Um, We know that he can beat Michigan because he beat Michigan in 2019. Now he just needs to put himself in a position where it's not a do or die situation like it was last year. I think he put way too much pressure on himself and subsequently his team and they clammed up because of it. What you saw against Georgia is how Ryan day normally is as a play caller and a head coach. He's an aggressive riverboat gambler who wants to, he's there to win. And so you saw a completely different team in that playoffs than you did at the end of November. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be really interesting, and we'll dive into what the Ohio State looks like here shortly. But this is a very, very important game for him because it, all likelihood it's going to determine who is going to the Big Ten Championship game. We'll jump in Penn State because they're also a factor here. But that last week of the season, all their both teams could be undefeated again, and it could be a de facto play play in game for the playoffs, depending on how the rest of the season pans out. So. Just mentioned Penn State. Penn State, to me, is a team that is very good. But James Franklin needs to get over that hump. You can't continue to live off of 2016, and then when you won a, a Big Ten championship game, at this point, seven years ago, your freshmen on that team were 11. So that you're too far away from your Big Ten championship. You need to do it again. Absolutely. I mean, just as we talked about Harbaugh with the national championship, the same applies to James Franklin with a Big Ten championship. Um, 
he's had phenomenal teams in the last seven years, but unfortunately for him, he's been put in the East with Michigan and Ohio state. And it just, you know, he's lost some really tough games to those, to both of those programs, probably ones that they should have won. You and I both watched the 2017 Ohio state uh, Penn state game together. You know, you think about 2018, I know Michigan in, in 21, they had a chance to win that. So you just look at the, all these opportunities slip by and you have to think that eventually the ball rolls in their direction, but I, I'm, I'm with you. He absolutely needs to get it done this year because they're in the same situation with their roster build that Michigan is. They have a lot of returning talent at a lot of key positions and next year it kind of gets all reset again. Yeah, we'll dive into Penn State here, but Drew Aller, you know, he's a phenomenal talent, but that whole defense is going to basically need to be rebuilt next year because they've got multiple guys that are going to be for day one or day two draft picks on that team. And it's hard to expect that all these guys are going to come back. You know, they had Olu Fushanu come back to his projected top 10 pick. You really think he's going to come back again after he's a top 10 pick? This is just not going to happen. So seeing these guys, what they're going to do is going to be very interesting um, and how James Franklin can get over the hump because he does have a couple trap games in his season that a couple slip-ups, if Drew Aller's on, on top of it, he's not as great as what we think he's going to be. You know, They could drop a game before you even get to October. So want to move into some new coaches. Nebraska, Wisconsin, Purdue, Northwestern all have new coaches. Northwestern's obviously new. I don't really want to dig into too much into their scandal. I don't think it should, deserve, it should get attention, but I don't think we should be talking about it as much as this is my personal opinion of don't give the attention where it shouldn't be. Northwestern needs to redo their whole program, but that's another day, another time. So between Nebraska, Wisconsin, Purdue, who is the highest expectations for you? I have to believe it's Matt Rule at Nebraska. Um, Nebraska is an extremely proud program. And even with the step down from the 90s, where they were the elite program in college football, the expectations I don't feel like have ever changed. And they got elevated with Scott Frost. And then we watched how that kind of crashed and burned. And then they went and hired Matt Rule, who I think is a phenomenal coach and will do a phenomenal job. You've seen him turn it around already on the recruiting trail. Uh, They're currently ranked 19th in the country and have accumulated a nice collection of talent that you're hoping can kind of get turned around and and put them in contention for the West. Um, But I I think Nebraska really believes after 2021, where they were probably the best three and nine team in college football history. And after the debacles of last year, they really believe that this could be a eight and four, you know, nine and three kind of year for them. Yeah, I, I tend to think Wisconsin uh, has some pretty high expectations this year because Luke Fickle, a very accomplished coach, very good, brings in Phil Longo from North Carolina. Wisconsin's offense is going to be completely different this year, and they still got talent. Braylon Allen didn't have the year people expected, but he's still arguably one of the best running backs in the Big Ten in a very loaded conference as well. So – the expectations, I think, for Wisconsin are almost make the Big Ten championship game. You know, go win nine games. 
So I'll be interested to see what they do with their new offense and how it translates with a team that has typically just been a ground and pound for the last 30 years. Yeah. So since Barry Alvarez took over, they've been very, I don't know if they've ever tried to open up the offense like they're going to this year. So I'm I'm incredibly curious if, if this looks like a, you know, shootout kind of team and more of a spread style rather than the old school traditional Big Ten. You know, flipping over to the opposite side of their expectations, I have two coaches on the hot seat in the Big Ten this year. Indiana, Tom Allen just hasn't been good lately. And Michigan State with Mel Tucker. If Mel Tucker goes out and lays an egg again, you can't continue to just live off that one season. No, no. I, I think Michigan State really has to be the choice for who has the hotter seat. Um Tom Allen hasn't done anything at Indiana, but it's Indiana. That it's a basketball school and a basketball state. And the football program, if it tends to you know, win six or seven games and go to a bowl game, they're ecstatic. And I hate to break it to Indiana fans, but it's probably not going to be very pretty this year. Um, Bell Tucker is making $9.5 million a year. And you got to show me something for it. Um, you had that great first year everybody kind of gave you a pass the second following year technically year. first year oh. was the covid year he went two and five the first year and then he went 11 and two the second year thank you um yeah so you you turn it around and then you know last year was a dumpster fire uh so if we're paying you almost 10 million dollars a year and you turn around and do that again there's going to be questions and and asking for justification of what are we doing here so i i think for him He's got to get to a New Year's Six Bowl game uh, at, at the very minimum. I don't think he'll be in contention for the East, but I think he could potentially get an at-large bid if they can win the rest of their games outside of Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State um, and and put themselves at least in in discussion for that. Yeah, I really think he's got to get like eight wins to give the program some reassurance again because they've been – just haven't been good. Even the year they were, they won 11 games, the defense was abysmal. Like, if you threw the ball, you, you beat them. You, you were winning. You know, C.J. Stroud dropped six touchdowns in the first half. They were up 49 nothing at the half because Michigan State played no defense in the passing attack. So they've got to make improvements. The problem also is, like, when they were losing games last year, they lost in a bunch of blowouts. You got blown out by Minnesota on your home field last year. That's not that's not good. You know, it's one thing to get blown out by like Ohio State. You, you really don't want to get blown out by Michigan because they're a rival. And Penn State was traditionally the last game of the year, so you want to play them competitively. But they're just they're losing games they shouldn't have lost last year. That they a program like that shouldn't be losing. So want to kind of jump in. Uh, let's let's talk about some of the best players in the conference. We kind of highlighted a couple more already. Uh, looking at Michigan, I've got two. I mean, I guess you could say three with, if you want to go with two running backs. But J.J. McCarthy and then Blake Horn slash Donovan Edwards, I think that is going to be the whole team for them. That's going to be their roster. That's, they're going to live and die with those three guys. Yeah, I, I mean, Michigan has built its identity. We know what that identity is, and, and I don't think they're going to stray too far from it. Um, the two-headed monster of Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, in my opinion, is not only the best in the conference, but probably the best in the country, and rightfully so. My 
thought on that is now I'll turn to JJ McCarthy because if Michigan wants to get to where it wants to be, JJ has to take that next step as a quarterback. He had good stats last year, but we have to remind ourselves that he was playing subpar competition and even against Ohio State was throwing to more or less wide open wide receivers, which isn't his fault. He still put the ball where it needed to be. But you saw in the TCU game, he was critical in that loss, throwing two pick sixes. So those are the type of things that have to get fixed and and for him to be able to stand and deliver throws um, and, and make the tough passes that allow them to really open up their full offensive potential if they, if they want to get uh, back in that national championship conversation. Yeah. And I don't think their defense is as vital as people think this year because their schedule is honestly pretty easy. Like they need to play good defense and they really just needs to come around for two games. And both those games are in November. So honestly, I don't really think it matters what their defense does the first nine weeks out of the year. They can allow 35 points a game. But when Penn State, Maryland, and Ohio State come, Maryland's an underrated team who is going to be able to play with points this year. So they need to be able to play them. But the first half of their schedule should be a cakewalk. And they should be able to just sleepwalk through it. Um, you know, you can talk about guys like Will Johnson, but again, I don't think they're even going to matter until you get to the second half of the year. So, number two, Ohio State. I mean, the wide receiver core is where it's at. Emeka Ibuka, Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, those two guys, best tandem in the country without question. Absolutely. I mean, everybody knows who Marvin Harrison Jr. is. He's been talked about constantly in the offseason, but Outside of Columbus, I'm not really sure that people really know how talented Emeka Egbuka is. And I think beyond that, I think the rest of the wide receiver room kind of gets lost in that discussion as well. But understandably so, because Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably going to be the number one wide receiver taken off the board next year. Um, and with guys like Emeka, with guys like Julian Fleming, with guys like Xavier Johnson, it's going to be tough for teams because you're not going to be able to bracket him. You're not going to be able to double him. And he's going to make you pay one-on-one. So I'll be I'll be curious to see how they use him, though. I know they wanted to use Jackson Smith and Jigbo last year in, in more of a, a slot role as well as outside. And I think they're trying to do that a little bit, as we saw from the spring game with Marvin. Um, just to kind of get him different looks and and keep defenses on their toes. So I'll, I'll be interested to see if they can legitimately put him in potentially a Heisman discussion later on down the road. Yeah, wide receivers are always very tough to put into a Heisman discussion. Uh, we've seen it done, but I, I personally don't think he will because there's too much talent on that team. I think the ball gets spread around a little too much, too many playmakers on offense. Marvin Harrison would need to go for like – 1,700 yards and 20 touchdowns even really get in consideration. And I'm just not sure that's in the cards because some of the teams they're going to play, they're going to have them out there by halftime. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Eichenberg on defense, I think, is the key for Ohio State. He is the captain. He's the leader. He is who's going to make that defense roll. He was incredibly underrated last year. Uh, All-American. He's just all over the field. He he strikes me as one of those like old-tool Big Ten linebackers that if people if people still wore neck rolls, he would wear a neck roll. Absolutely would. Um, 
you know, you and I grew up in the age of Ohio State where it was AJ Hawk, it was Bobby Carpenter, it was Schlegel, you know, and this guy is built from that same kind of mold, right? Where doesn't talk, there's jokes about him in the whack that he just grunts at people. Um, but he absolutely the defense goes as he goes. And last year he should have been in the discussion for the Butkus. And I think it's a shame that he wasn't. I'm glad that he got an All-American, but he should absolutely be right there in the discussion again. And as long as he can stay healthy and not have two broken thumbs going into the last couple of games of the season, uh, I think that he will continue to lead a even further rejuvenated defense for the Buckeyes. And just for people who don't know, he finished with 120 tackles, 12 tackles for loss, two and a half sacks, one interception, and three passes broken up as a middle linebacker. It's pretty impressive. Not many guys are getting 100 tackles in this day and age anymore with just how it's played. And also, in like the 70s and 80s, everybody got credited for a tackle. That's why you see guys that had 30 tackles. If you were even close, you got credited with it, you know, assisted tackle. Now they're a little bit more meticulous with how they do it. So, you know, if you look back and compare it to the 70s and 80s when guys were doing 200 tackles, that's just not how it works anymore. Those guys would be down in the 100, 120, 130 range at this point. So he's an absolute monster. They're going to need him to play like that this year if they want a chance to win a national championship. You know, the third major team, Penn State, they've got playmakers, important players all throughout the field. Nick Singleton is going to be huge. He had a really good freshman season. Kalen King, potential Thorpe, potential first-round pick. And then Olu Fashanu, who we talked about already. You know, those are three guys that, you know, outside of the quarterback – they're going to need all three of those guys if they're going to potentially win the big time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said before, they have, they have dudes at the major positions that they need to have dudes at. Um, you and I both know that that starting left tackle spot is incredibly important. If you want to keep your quarterback upright, especially for a dude who's going to start his first ever college football season. Um, so I think it was big for Alu to come back uh, and and it gives Aller something to have confidence about, right? Knowing that I've got this all world first round draft pick protecting my blind side, you know, I can go out here and, and, and sling it. And then the other part of it too is Nick Singleton is going to take a lot of pressure off of Aller because when you got a dude that can run like that, you aren't going to be as pressured to make every single throw to win games. And then on, on defense, we know Penn State is going to have a nasty defense again. Matt Diaz has done a wonderful job. And this is uh, – Kalen King is one of those dudes. It's a reason why, a big reason why. Um, I've seen lots of mock drafts that have him in the first round, and you can understand why. And I'm I'm really excited to see how he matches up with guys like Marvin Harrison, guys like Emeka, um, you know, throughout conference play to – to really see where he ranks um, in terms of the best corners in the country. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to talk about one more player because I don't want to spend the whole time talking about Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. Uh, one of the guys that I like, uh, Illinois defensive lineman, Jerzon Newton. You know, Illinois was actually a very good team last year. Uh, they nearly beat Michigan. You know, they were almost made the Big Ten championship game. 
And if they're going to compete again, it's going to be with their defense. Brett Bielma has instilled a very good defense. And Jerzon Newton last year on the defensive line at 62 tackles, 14 passes for loss, two fumble recoveries, five and a half sacks, three passes defended. Like They're going to have a strong defensive line again, and that'll be a reason to look for them to be in that eight, nine win range again. Absolutely. I mean, Brett Bielma has built Illinois the same way that he built Wisconsin. And I, I think people kind of forgot about him because he went to Arkansas and let's call a spade a spade. It sucked. That whole tenure just was not good. But it, the, the man is built for Big Ten football. And I think Illinois really found a good one here and will continue to cement themselves as one of the top teams in the West. Uh, and I would not be surprised if Illinois was the team that ended up in Indianapolis uh, in December. No, no, not at all. All right, so I wanted to start talking about all the teams in the Big Ten here because we're not going to talk about every single one of them. Personally, don't really care to talk about Indiana. They're going to be bad. Northwestern's going to be terrible. Rutgers might be making it. But I want to talk about about half the teams and let's – expectations, what we've got, what's, what's coming back. And since we've talked about Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State a ton, uh, I want to start with actually talking about a different team. I'll let you choose who we're going to start with. Let's start with the Iowa Hawkeyes. Ooh, that's, that's an interesting one. It's a real interesting one because it really feels like the offense is in an hour never mood or mentality, I guess you could say. They were decent a couple years ago, but it seems like the last couple years have just been absolutely abysmal. Uh yeah, they've been <laughs> they've just been bad. I don't I don't even have an analogy or or a metaphor for you. It, it's it's just been bad, um, and I guess it just goes to show you that nepotism doesn't always work, folks, because they have really skated by uh, with their defense. And honestly, it's impressive that they have been able to accomplish the success that they have had basically playing on only one side of the ball. Um, but you bring in Cade McNamara from Michigan, you bring in Eric all from Michigan, you bring in Caleb Brown from Ohio state. And now the expectations are a little bit higher, right? You have three dudes that can legitimately move the ball for you. Um, so if, if you could at least give them enough possessions a game to do so, I think they could actually put themselves in contention for the big 10 West. Um, you know, not solely relying on that defense alone. Yeah. I mean, the, the defense was one of the best in the country last year. They ranked top 10 in almost every major category. They ranked top five in a lot of them too. scoring defense, total defense, passing defense, rushing defense, you know, they were in the top third in sacks. They were in the top third turnover margin. But they ranked almost last in every offensive category. 123rd in scoring, 123rd in passing offense, 124th in rushing offense, 130th in total offense. Like, you can't win games that way. The fact that they made a bowl game to me is actually stunning. They, they had multiple games last year where they didn't score double digits. One of them was South Dakota State. They only scored seven points against South Dakota State. They only scored seven points against Iowa State. They only scored six points against Illinois. I don't understand 
how Brian Ferentz was able to keep a job. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if Iowa is just in a position where they just think they can't do any better than this or they're afraid of what the reality is outside of the Ferentz regime, but I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I think it's kind of hilarious that he has the clause in his contract in his son's contract that he has to average 25 points a game. To my knowledge, I've never seen anything like that, or at least something that's been available to, you know, the media and to fans, but they, they gotta, they gotta do something because you, it works right. For the most part, you can get to a bowl game. You can win six games if you, if that's your, your goal. But if you truly want to compete with the big boys, you got to be able to put up points with the offense. It's just how this new age of college football goes. I mean, when you turn around and get annihilated by Ohio state 54 to 10, and the only reason you were in it until halftime was because of your defense, you know, it's, that's not going to put you in a favorable uh, point to get yourself back to Indianapolis. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I was looking at some stats and Iowa is 39 and two when they scored at least 24 points with Ryan Ferentz as their offensive coordinator. They're 12 and 21 when they score less than 24 points. So that 25-point stretch is very important for them. They're one of the best teams in the country when they can at least score basically four touchdowns. It's not that it's not that hard to get that high. Somebody pointed out that 25 points a game would have basically ranked 80th in scoring last year. So you're not asking them to make any sort of insane jump. They're not looking to be the most high-scoring team in the country. You're just looking for average because you know your defense is going to be elite. Absolutely. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, there's not much else you can, you can say. I don't think he's asking for anything ridiculous or over the top. Like you said, you're just looking for average in, in, in this day and age, you know, when there's 130 teams in college football and you're only expected to rank somewhere in the eighties in terms of points per game, that should be pretty reasonable regardless of who you are. There are teams with much less talent who have figured out how to do it. And, you know, whether you got to come up with some crazy offensive scheme to get there, uh, you know, so be it. But their their defense keeps them in a lot of games. I mean, you you had Michigan, you lost to Michigan 27 to 14, and it was really much closer than that. Um, if you watch that game, like I said, Ohio state, that game was still very close at halftime because of the defense. You know, you, you lose to teams like Nebraska when you can't score the ball like that. Um, this is a team that's very capable of being 10 and two, you know, right there at the end. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. They can score. So the schedule lines up for them well too, because the only power from the East they play is a trip to Penn state. Other than that, they host Michigan State, and then they also host Rutgers. And then their non-conference are Utah State, Iowa State, and Western Michigan. Outside of Penn State, which I actually think that could be a winnable game if the defense plays as strong and the offense figures it out, there's no way they go 12-0. They're going to drop a game somewhere. I, I think 11-1 and is also 
kind of out of the realm, but I could certainly see them going 10 and two with, you know, a loss to Penn state and, you know, um, you know, a loss on the road at Wisconsin. But other than that, like the, if the offense improves, like it should, you know, they bring back Caleb Johnson, you know, Luke Lachey is another Iowa tight end who is probably going to figure out his way into the first or second round. I mean, that's what Iowa does. So there's plenty of weapons there. They just need to know how to use them. Yep. Completely agree. So let's stay in the West. Let's talk about Wisconsin. Talked about a little bit. Is Wisconsin going to throw the ball around this year? Are they, they going to be an air raid team? I don't know if they're going to commit fully to the air raid. Um, like, am I going to convince myself that Wisconsin is going to be like basically a Big Twelve team this year? No, I, I I have a hard time believing that they're fully going to commit to shifting their entire uh, ground and pound style of game on offense to this air raid um, one, because I don't think you necessarily have all the athletes to fit that way, but you also don't have the offensive line that meshes well with that. Uh, Wisconsin is known for getting a certain style of body for their offensive line because they want big dudes who just lean on people and create running lanes. Um, those guys don't exactly have the ankles or the feet to hold up in pass blocking. Now, I do believe having a quarterback that actually can make the throws uh, that he's being asked to, like Tanner Mordecai. Tanner Mordecai, I think, is going to be really good at Wisconsin. I think he is, too. I think I've always thought that Wisconsin is one guy away from, you know, one quarterback away from really being a dangerous team because they always have offensive line. They always have running back. Their defense is always stout. They just needed somebody who could complete the passes. Um, uh, hold on. Give me one second. Thank you. Sorry about that. You're good. I think the Wisconsin running back room is another one that doesn't get talked about enough. Braylon Allen is still one of the best running backs in the country, even if he didn't have the year he probably wanted to last season. No, absolutely. Um, and I think that, he, but he had 1,200 yards. So it's not like he was a scrub. He just probably didn't have the year he wanted because Wisconsin didn't have the year they wanted. Right. And and like we just like we said, it, it, death taxes in Wisconsin running backs. Right. It, it's how it has gone in college football. It how it's how it will preservably go for the next three decades. Um, 
but he's going to be the one that benefits the most from Mordecai because teams aren't going to be able to load the box. I think a lot of teams got away with just loading the box on Wisconsin last year because nobody was afraid of Graham Mertz actually making a throw that could hurt him. Because he couldn't make a throw. Right. He hadn't shown it. And so when you can do that, even a guy as talented and special as Braylon Allen, he's going to get shut down when all 11 dudes know that you're getting the ball. It's just the way of the game. So I think he's going to be able to get to the second level a lot easier. And on top of that, he's a guy that all he needs is one dude to miss. And then he will make teams pay for it. So it, it really could be a special year for Wisconsin offensively. And they're, they're going to get an early test because they travel to Washington State. I don't think Washington State is any sort of powerhouse this year. But it is a legitimate Power 5 team that you're going to have to go on the road across the country who is, is a solid program. And Washington State won that game last year. So here's a chance to go out to Pullman and win that game. And we're going to get a good understanding early of what they look like. So moving on. No, absolutely. Um, Finish up. I was just going to say that, you know, that was a game last year that Big Bear and I previewed on first and goal. And we looked at it as Wisconsin isn't world beaters, but there's no way that they lose this game. When they turned around and, and dropped that game at home, we all got the feeling of, okay, this isn't the usual Wisconsin team that you get, you know, the, the floor for Wisconsin is normally nine and three. And then the expectation is to be 11 and one or 12 and zero headed to the big 10 title game. So if they can go out to Washington state and, and just handle business, I think Luke fickle and company will feel really good about where they're headed going into big 10 season. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to stay out West. Let's talk about Nebraska. Matt Rule comes in. He brings in a lot of transfers. Jeff Sims is probably going to be the starting quarterback. They haven't announced it, but in all likelihood, Jeff Sims from Georgia Tech will be a starter. He goes out and gets Eric Gilbert, MJ Sherman, Elijah Judy. Um, They're all in Lincoln, Nebraska now. He is trying to rebuild that roster and take them to a bowl game. Do you think the expectation is seven, eight? Like, How many wins do you think Nebraska gets this year? Um, I think eight is realistic for them. You, you look at their schedule and it's not the worst thing that I've seen, but you start the season at Minnesota. That's a tough ask. Um, then you go on the next week to play Colorado, which I don't think Colorado is going to be great, but that's still not a cakewalk game. Right. Right. And there's a lot of bad blood between those programs as we're aware of, um, you play Michigan at home. You had to go to Illinois. You play at Wisconsin. You play Iowa. You know, th- there aren't really a lot of what I would quote as gimme games. Um, I-, I think eight wins and going to a good bowl game would, I would be ecstatic as a Nebraska fan because at least you could show me that you took a talented team and at least did the bare minimum of what you needed to. Um he he's had a tough ass basically to rebuild this program, which is something I never thought I would say after they, after the Cornhuskers hired Scott Frost, but here we are, this is the reality of the situation. And 
you hired, luckily, a guy that is really good at turning programs around. We saw what he did at Baylor. Um, and if he can do it again in Nebraska, they're going to be a consistent contender again. But I think the transfer portal is going to be um, a, a big part of their program moving forward because they simply cannot recruit the way that they did in the 90s. Uh, they used to pull a lot of guys out of Oklahoma, a lot of guys out of Texas, and they are just not in a position anymore to do that. So they will have to rely on the transfer portal a lot to, to fill holes um, to keep themselves elevated. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Uh, I, I think the floor for them is four wins this year. I think they beat Northern Illinois. I think they beat Louisiana tech. I think they beat Northwestern. I think those are your three gimme games. They, they, they should beat Colorado. They should beat Minnesota. I don't actually, I don't want to say they should beat Minnesota. That's actually going to be a tough game. They should for sure beat Michigan State. I think Purdue is another game that they could win there as well. I think six wins is the benchmark. If you can make it to six wins, that is a formidable improvement. You're going to a bowl game, and you have something you can build on heading into the next year. And hopefully, I haven't looked at their schedule for 24 yet, but hopefully it's a little bit more forgiving. No, I, I agree. Um just taking a quick look at that that 24 schedule. I mean, it starts off a lot nicer than what 23 does. You you play UTEP, Colorado, Northern Iowa, all at home to start the season. And then you you're at Iowa, Indiana, Michigan State. You know, you you really get a nice draw into the season before you start having to to play Minnesota, Wisconsin, Penn State. So um if they can get to a bowl game, like you said, that that six game floor to potentially even eight wins headed into twenty four, I think it could do uh, a lot of good. Yeah, and I think the other thing is Matt Roll made good hires. Marcus Satterfield comes from South Carolina. You know, they had a pretty good offense there last year, so I, you can expect a similar style. I believe they're going to spread it around a little bit. Uh, the one thing Nebraska will use is definitely a mobile quarterback. Matt Rule has done that for a while, uh, and I, I think he's going to continue to rely on that. That's why he wanted Jeff Sims. And then Tony White comes up from Syracuse, which if people weren't paying attention, Syracuse had a pretty good defense last year. It was no barn burner, but they were like in the top 30, top 40 of most major categories, and that's what he needs. The Big Ten West isn't a bunch of superstar athletes, but you need to have a decent defense to be able to shut down the Illinois, the Purdue's, you know, the Iowa's of the world, even though Iowa shuts themselves down typically. It's funny because it's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so let's let's start jumping over to the, the big boys. Let's talk about the three in the Big Ten East. I want to start with Michigan. We talked about them a little bit, but let's let's talk about them again. Is this team needs it this year? Who is the most important player on that team other than J.J. McCarthy? Oh, that's tough. Um, Cause that's where my mind immediately went. Like I said earlier, you know, we know what the, we know what the running backs bring, but you need to see it from J.J. to really push themselves into those elite level programs. Um, if, if it can't be J.J., honestly, I would have to say whoever plays, corner opposite of will johnson 
Um, I think you know what you get with Will Johnson. He has shown that he can play with the big boys when he got thrown in against Ohio State and Marvin Harrison. But you have to have a dude opposite of him that can at least be solid. I'm not asking for two superstars on the corner. You just have to be solid because it's not going to matter much if you play Ohio State at the end of November, Will Johnson locks up Marvin Harrison, if Emeka goes for 14 catches, 200 yards, and three touchdowns, you know? So to me, that that is really the major question mark for me on their defense. They are, they'll have a, a solid front seven. Um, you mentioned that they're going to go into the season with a super easy slate to get started, and that defense is going to get settled down and, and get the kinks worked out. But you're going to need a guy that can can cover that opposite side of Will Johnson when you play teams like Maryland, Penn State, and Ohio State if, if you really want to uh, push yourself into the playoff contention. Yeah, I personally think either Roman Wilson or Cornelius Johnson will be the second most important player. Blake Horm, Donovan Edwards, we know what they're going to do. I, I'm not worried about what they're going to do at all, but I, they need a reliable number one wide receiver to help J.J. He can make some plays, but getting one of them to settle into that role, it used to be Ronnie Bell. Every time that Michigan needed to play, it was Ronnie Bell for a while. And Ronnie Bell got injured. It just never feels like they have settled into, like, the guy. You know, it's third and seven, and you need a first down. You know, for Ohio State, 90% of the time, you're going to guess they're going to go to Marvin Harrison. Maybe the other 10, they're going to Mecca Ibuka. There's nobody else that they're going to point to. Michigan needs Cornelius Johnson or Roman Wilson to be that guy. And they both have flashed, but the consistency is what I need to see out of them this year. Absolutely. So we've talked about Michigan. Their ceiling is 12 and L. Realistically, they should be at least 11 and 1. If they go 10 and 2, that, that's a disappointment. If they lose to both Penn State and Ohio State, there's some very disappointed fans in Ann Arbor this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, this is um, – we've said it a bunch of times, but th this is their shot, right? They These type of teams, I know for like Ohio State fans, these are the type of teams that roll around every four or five years. For Michigan, it's been at the very least seven, and in reality it's probably been more like 17 since they've had a, a team in the preseason that – on paper, you looked at it and was like, oh, yeah, this they, they could win it all. Yeah. So let's jump to jump to their rival, Ohio State. You're and I's favorite team to talk about. Uh, the one that frustrates us the most, but the one that also we love to death and we bleed scarlet and gray. From a biased perspective, we both think that they're going to go 12 0. From an unbiased perspective, where is the weak spot on this team? I think it still remains in the secondary. Um, I think you and I would like to sit here and say that Denzel Burke gets back into form. Uh, Jordan Hancock takes that opposite role of him across the field, locks in, and then Davison Igbenosin comes in at that uh, slot corner safety 
position. Um, and then you plug in guys like Sonny Styles and, and Lathan Ransom, and it elevates us to the part where we finally have a secondary that we're not holding our breath every time a quarterback drops back to pass. But in reality, I think they got to show it to me, right? It's been four years now since we had a secondary that we were like, yeah, sure, throw it on it. Like, it's not going to work for you, but go ahead, pull the trigger. I, I need to see it because for me, that's that in the defensive line is what has kept Ohio State from really achieving what I believe that they are capable of. And they work in tandem with one another. If you have dudes that can get to the quarterback and sack them, makes your secondary look really good. If you have secondary that can lock people down, gives more time for your defensive line to show up and, and get those sacks. So it's it's a symbiotic relationship, and they, they got to show me that they can work together. I think one of the big things for them is the defensive line. The talent is there, but they haven't had an elite pass pressure since Chase Young. They've had five-star guys on the defensive line. They have these talented players, but no game changers on the D-line. And I think if they get a game changer, that changes everything for your secondary. If you have a guy who's just an absolute game wrecker that has to be double teamed, you know, they have to plan around, it's going to help the secondary out because you're getting the quarterback faster. You're breaking it up. And you, I just think back to Chase Young when he played against Wisconsin. You know, they, they decided that he was going to be a stand up linebacker, and Wisconsin went, Oh, hell no, we're calling timeout on this one. <laughs> I just think back to that play where they looked at it and was like, Nope. And Ohio State needs a player like that. No, for as good of a defense as they should be, you know, JT Tui Malau, Jack Sawyer, one of those guys that needs to step up and be a game changer. If they can do that, I think they go 12-0. But if they can't find that person on defensive line, 11-1, and 10-2 are within the realm of possibility. Absolutely. Because those are the guys that <laughs> – like you said, they, they wreck game plans and they also make, make you adjust on the fly. Um, you, I'm glad you mentioned the sides that they're taking over, you know, Chase Young against Penn state ended the game. Chase Young against Wisconsin, four sacks, multiple, you know, forced fumbles. You, you go back, you think about the Bosa's. They went through a solid stretch there. Now it's very hard to get multiple of those guys in a 10-year span. It's why you don't see it very often. They don't need somebody that's a top five pick. They need somebody that is a serious threat to become that at any point. Right. Uh, you look at JT and Sawyer, and they both have, I believe it's six and a half and seven career sacks. I need both of them to get 10 each. And then when you throw in a Mike Hall that gives another five sacks and a Tyleek Williams that gets another six sacks, you know, Ohio State realistically with the talent that they bring in should be in the 50 to 60 sacks per year range. And they've been in the 30s to 40s last year. And I think that's why you've seen the defense struggle at times because it always seemed like even when we didn't have guys like Chase Young, you had guys like Draymond Jones, you've had guys like Cam Hayward that when it mattered most – they made a play and they may not have gotten a sack, but they at least disrupted the quarterback that resulted in a broken pass up or, you know, whatever it may be. So 
I, I agree with you. These are both five-star guys. They need to step up and play like it this year. And JT Tumalo proved he could be that guy. He did it against Penn State. He is the sole reason Ohio State beat Penn State last year. Two interceptions, multiple sacks. One of his interceptions was uh, for a touchdown, forced a fumble. He was just all over the field. A defensive end who has two interceptions in a game is an absolute game breaker. And you just need to see the consistency out of that instead of just doing it once or twice over the course of the year. It's got to be in every big game. It can't just be sometimes. Absolutely. Speaking of Penn State, this has to be the year for them. And I think Drew Aller might be getting too much pressure on him already. The kid has barely played, and Penn State is almost expected to make the college football playoff just based off of his potential alone. Yeah, it's it's kind of wild. Um, He's thrown 60 passes so far in his career. Yeah. Uh, Aller comes from the state of Ohio. You and I are very familiar with him. Uh, we both follow recruiting. We both know that Ohio State, had they not taken Quinn Ewers, was probably going after Drew Aller full-time. Um, and if Ryan Day wants you, that tells me that you can play quarterback. The thing that gets me is I'm, I'm with you. This is a lot to ask for a kid who's about to start via starter in college football for the first time. I'm glad that he has got to throw some passes, but there isn't exactly that track record that you have with Ryan Day and his quarterbacks. You and I can sit here and, and talk about Kyle McCord or Devin Brown and say, I'm not super concerned about it because – Look at what we've done. You go from Haskins to Field to Stroud, and you throw almost 14,000 yards, you know, over 200 touchdowns. The track record is there. Why would we be concerned regardless of who it is? But with Penn State, it hasn't been like that. It's been a guy who struggled his first two years, kind of comes on that third year, decides to stay that fourth year. But there really hasn't ever – there hasn't been a quarterback for Penn State that I'm like, oh, shit. Like, he – he could beat us by himself. Now, talent-wise, I believe Aller is the first guy that could do that. Um, but you're going to be put in situations where if it all falls on his shoulders, I'm not sure he can give it to you. Coming into Columbus for a night out, for a night game in front of a scarlet out is a big ask to beat, you know, Ohio State. Going having to play Michigan, even though it's at home, you know, who will arguably be number two in the country still is a big ask. Um, Week four, they're going to host Iowa. We talked about Iowa's defense. How is he going to play against a stout, expected to be a stout defense? You know, early in the year, you know, he'll have a couple games under his belt. Actually, week three, they go to Illinois. That could be a difficult game as well. Those are potential slip-up games where if he struggles early in the year, don't be shocked if they lose to Illinois or lose to Iowa because both of those defenses will be ready to play. Now, Penn State has a good defense, and they should be able to slow down both those teams. But you could see some low-scoring 17-14 games if Aller isn't up to snuff in the first month of the year. Absolutely. Um, and he's very fortunate, like I said. We talked about Singleton. We talked about the defense before. So he's going to have a lot to lean on. But there is going to be a time where he has to make plays to win games. Um, we watched that with Stroud in 2021 against Michigan. He did what he needed to all year to kind of get us through. But when it came time to make those plays to win, he couldn't. 
So it's it's a lot to ask of the kid, and I almost feel bad for him because if this team if this team was the same team that we were talking about but pushed to 2024 with Aller coming back for a second year, I would have Penn State as the front runners to win the Big Ten. They'd be a top five team without question yeah. heading into the season. I believe now that's how good this kid can be. They're a top 10 team. We're releasing our top 25 here soon, and everybody will get to see what we have at Penn State. But they're a top 10 team, and he's got the whole weight of a program because not only has Penn State you know, been close but not there, they're so desperate to make the college playoff. They finally have their quarterback. But on defense, guys like Job Robinson, guys like Kalen King, there, there's a lot of – juniors and seniors on that defense that defense that will likely be heading to the NFL next year. They'll keep some guys around, but guys like Curtis Jacobs are going to be in the NFL next year. And they recruit well. The transfer portal is going to continue to help, but they don't recruit at a top five, top 10 level where it's even going to be tough to compete with, you know, the Michigans of the world and, teams that use the transfer portal a little bit more to help fill the role, fill the gaps. So I'm very curious to see if they can, if they can win these games in September, I guess end of September, we'll know how good Drew Aller is. They play West Virginia at home the first game of the year. I'm not worried about it. I think they're going to beat West Virginia pretty easily. I don't think West Virginia is very good Delaware, but then on the road at Illinois is the first real game for me. What, what are we going to see out of him? And if he can prove it there and then against Iowa, you know, they smooth sail for a couple weeks until they come to Ohio State. And that'll that'll be one of the benchmarks for the season. They lose that game. They still have a chance because they host Michigan. And 11-1 and one could still get them into the playoff. Absolutely. Um, like you said, I'm, I, we will be together for that week three, so we will definitely be paying attention to that Penn state, Illinois game. But um, I, I don't know if it's because it's the first one of the, the first big game of the season, I guess I would call it, or the fact that it's against our Buckeyes, but that's the game I kind of have circled because there's going to be a lot of storylines coming into that, right? The kids coming home for the first time, Penn state hasn't won in Columbus since 2011. Ohio State's going to be having a scarlet out. It's going to be rowdy, you know, so I, I want to see how he fares against that. If he crumbles and, and the Buckeyes blow him out, that could be detrimental to his confidence and his growth throughout the season. If he plays well and even well enough to win, that could catapult them into the big uh, 10 title discussion. Yeah. Yeah. And he is a potential Heisman candidate in his career. Um, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Penn State. Um, I want to continue on to two other teams real quick before we get finish up the show here. We talked a little bit about Illinois. Um, Illinois, I, I like Illinois. I think their defense, but the offense concerns me at Illinois. Chase Brown was a stud at running back. He's gone. You're replacing a quarterback. You know, what do you see out of Illinois this year? I think it's a team that reminds me a lot of Iowa and the fact that they're probably going to lean on that defense a lot. Um, not because I don't necessarily trust the offense, but because I'm very familiar with how Brett Bielema runs his programs. 
and this is what he prefers his identity to be, right? Is he wants to play stout defense. He wants to be able to run the ball, control the clock. And so I think that's what you're going to see a lot of Illinois. I would not be surprised if you see a lot of low scoring games where the first one to get to 21 wins, you know, we make that joke all the time, but Illinois uh, could really be built like that this year. And, and fortunately for them, um, I, I think they would be pretty successful doing that. They went eight and five last year and, and I can see a very uh, similar season uh, if a few of those games don't go their way, but they, they have the ability, like I said, to, to put themselves uh, in, in, in that discussion, you know, they're, <laughs> they, they start off with a game against Toledo, which the reigning Mac champs, that's not the, you know, cakewalk that you probably would want. You got to go to Kansas, which again, Kansas is not Kansas anymore. We know that's Jake's favorite non-Ohio state team. Jalen Daniels is the truth. Um, we mentioned Penn State in week three. Florida Atlantic isn't a slouch of a program. Tom Herman's at Florida Atlantic now. Yeah, I, I mean, this is not... We talked about gimme games. There are not any of these that I would look at outside of... Northwestern? Northwestern, yeah. The last one of the season that I would Indiana say... Indiana should yeah, be a gimme game, too. Yeah, it, I would say that. That works. Yeah. Indiana, Northwestern. But outside of that, those are not... Not... Uh, gimme games by any means. So this is going to be a battle and they're going to get into November tested. And I think wherever they sit after the Florida Atlantic game will pretty much tell you, you know, who they are as a program. If they're, if they're three and one or even potentially four and oh, you could have uh, the West champion on your hands with the fighting Illini. Yeah, and Brett Bielma went out and got a quarterback, Luke Altmaier from Ole Miss, uh, one of the top quarterbacks in his class. I think he was ranked in the top 200 overall players. So they do have a talented quarterback. You know, Tommy DeVito came over from Syracuse, and he was good. He was kind of a game manager. I'm interested to see what Luke Altmaier does because he is talented. He should be a little bit more than a game manager. But the Illinois offense is not one to open it up to let him explode. But they do have some playmakers. Isaiah Williams is still on the team. He had 700 receiving yards last year. So they've got some guys, but the defense is going to be the story. But if Luke Altmaier can actually be the guy, they could turn some of these games that aren't gimme games into gimme games. The Toledo, the Florida Atlantic, Purdue's, you know, Minnesota. Like I could see them winning all of these games. You know, I could see them. I don't think they'll get the 10 wins. I think eight wins is a realistic option for them. I agree. The last team in the Big Ten I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about Minnesota, and then I want to just want to briefly touch on Maryland. Uh, Minnesota, they've got their own controversy going on right now. <laughs> but P.J. Fleck is like one of the most consistent and inconsistent coaches, in my opinion. They went nine and five last year. Nobody even notices they went go nine and five. But they also avoided most of the big teams. Like they had Penn State, but they didn't play Michigan. They didn't play Ohio State. 
you know, their non-conference schedule was pretty light. You know, they played Colorado, who was terrible, and then they had two other uh, easy games. But this year, they go to North Carolina, they host Michigan, and they go to Ohio State. Is P.J. Fleck the guy who just wins the games he should and loses the games he should? At this point, you know, outside of what was it, 2019, where they upset Penn State at home? Yeah. Um, I think so. But if you're Minnesota, is that really necessarily a bad thing? Because there's a lot of programs that would take nine and five, you know, all all day long. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think he is a guy that every couple of years, he will put together a, a team that's loaded with seniors that has the potential to get to Indianapolis. And if I'm a gopher fan, I think that's a pretty good deal. Um, you're talking about a, a schedule that, like you said, lines up not as favorably as last year. So you're going to really see what you're working with. Um, the the most interesting part to me, I think, is their quarterback situation. Um, you have Kaliak Manis, who comes in. We saw him at the end of last year. He diced up Wisconsin. He brings a completely new wrinkle to the offense with his running ability, but his throwing leaves a lot to be desired. Now, if he can bring that up to speed and incorporate that as a part of their offense with a receiving core that has Chris Autumn Bell back. I have no idea how this guy's still in college. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I had to kind of double check that when I was looking up Minnesota. This guy's uh, been in college for like seven years at this point. I don't, I don't know how Chris Autumn Bell is still playing. Yeah. It's, it's kind of wild, but you know, with COVID and gray shirting and all that anything is possible at this point when i see guys that have been in college for eight years i guess nothing surprises you anymore um but yeah i I mean like i said this it has the potential i know we keep saying that throughout this episode but there are a lot of teams in this conference that have the potential to really do something special and i think that's what makes all the headlines are on the east but i think that's what makes the west so intriguing is because you legitimately have four or five teams that could find themselves in Indianapolis if, you know, all the, the, if it all lines up correctly for them. Yeah, I agree. So the last team I want to touch on real quick is Maryland because, so I was reading a preview and it has Maryland's ceiling at 11 and one with a realistic of 10 and two. Where do you even think this comes from? And do you even think those are remotely close? I have a hard time believing those numbers simply because of where Maryland lies in the big 10. If you're in the East, you're automatically matched up against the three big boys that we talked about. And Maryland just simply does not have a good track record against them. So I'm not sure what about this year all of a sudden has Maryland in contention to be the first team not named Ohio state, Michigan or Penn state to come out of, or well, I guess Michigan state did it, but you know, the first one since Michigan state that aren't those big three to come out of the East. I, I they're extremely talented. You, I mean, I know Takavaloa is um, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, but I, I just don't see it with their roster. 
they should be able to score points. You know, they they were 67th in scoring offense last year. Their defense was solid. You know, 43rd in total defense, 42nd in scoring defense. They returned a decent amount, but their receiver receiving core was wiped because Rakeem Jarrett and Jacob Copeland are both in the NFL now. Their defense, I think people are expecting, takes a step forward, and Tonga Vailoa continues to be a good quarterback. With all likelihood, they should be 5-0 when they play Ohio State. They go Towson, Charlotte, Virginia, Michigan State, Indiana. Should be 5-0. None of those teams are that good. Charlotte had a new coach. Virginia, Tony Elliott was terrible last year. At Michigan State, I guess if Mel Tucker figures it out, he could win that game. Indiana is going to be terrible. So they should be 5-0 playing absolutely terrible teams. But then they go Ohio State. Illinois, Northwestern, Penn State, Nebraska, Michigan, Rutgers. Those last seven games, I have no idea what the record is going to be. They could go anywhere from two and five to five and two, in, the, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, I agree with you. They should be five and zero oh walking into Columbus, and it'll make for an intriguing matchup. It'll probably be one of the ones that we look at at first and goal. But if you walk into Columbus and get your cheeks clapped, and end up losing by four scores, I'm just going to assume you're the same old Maryland program. You know, last year you gave Ohio State a scare, but in reality, I mean, Ohio State very easily was on the verge of blowing that game out. So I, I don't get it. I, I, I think if you had those receivers returning, I, I would buy into the hype a little bit more, but I, I, I don't I don't get it either. I realistically I, I think you lose to the big three in the east and best case scenario is your nine and three which would be really really good for maryland yeah yeah i, I do think loxley's moving in the right direction i just don't know with the state of the big 10 east that this is the year you've got three world beaters i think if this team was in next year i would like them a little bit better because penn state would be losing a lot on defense michigan would be rebuilding Ohio State's probably going to lose a lot as well. I think I would feel better about them if this was in 2024. Yes, absolutely agree. Um, I think seven wins is more, you know, the the line that you should probably draw, seven and five being the floor, and like I said, nine and three being being the ceiling um, and, and maybe potentially upsetting one of the big three, but I have a hard time uh, seeing that. You know, you would you would have to more or less, in my mind, probably get into a shootout with one of them to, to pull that off. I will say I think that Michigan game could be very interesting because it's in between when Michigan plays Penn State and Ohio State. So yeah. I could see that being a look ahead game and it's at home. It's senior day. I could see that one being an off the radar game that maybe Maryland doesn't win. But don't be surprised if it's seven points in the fourth quarter. Well, we've and we've seen that situation play out multiple times, right? Where both Michigan and Ohio State have had to play Maryland before the rivalry game, and it's gotten real dicey. It's gotten real close. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because I think the whole focus, at least you know, as we get into November, as long as everything plays out like we believe it will, will be on that matchup in Ann Arbor on Thanksgiving weekend, and. I looked at both schedules that week before is intriguing for both Maryland provides that kind of passing attack. That is the one that I would say closely mimics Ohio States. So Michigan will get that test. 
and Minnesota for the Buckeyes um, mimics that large offensive line and rushing game that Michigan is known for. So it's almost like they get a preview of each other before they head into that final showdown. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Do you have any interest in talking about Michigan State, Rutgers, Indiana, Purdue, or Northwestern? No, and that's not to disrespect those fans. It's just it's going to be a rough year for you guys, especially Northwestern. Um, enjoy the good moments. I wouldn't even say enjoy the wins. Just enjoy the nice moments where you're like, hey, that looked like football. Yeah, yeah. with uh, Northwestern, we'll see what all changes, but that schedule is not going to be friendly. They play a game against Howard. That might be the only game they get to win this year. Yeah. All right, uh, I want to move on to the last segment here. Uh, well, first, I want you to give me your prediction. Give me your East winner, your West winner, and your champion. Man, this is – I mean, I, I <laughs> you know, like you said, biased me wants to say the Buckeyes finally get it done this year, but I don't have anything to back it up. Um, so I, I think for me, I think you you look at a, a 12-0 and Michigan coming out of the East going against um, – I don't know. I, I think it'll throw, be throw a dart, throw a dart. Yeah. Throw a dart. But you know what? Give me, give me Wisconsin out of the West. I, I think I, the way that Luke fickle coaches and I think the way that their offense will open up with Mordecai and Braylon Allen, that they will be sitting atop the West once again. Um, and I think we will, if that is the matchup, I think we will get a really good big 10 championship game, but I think, ultimately Michigan will do what they always do and, and wear down opponents in the second half and walk away as uh, three-time Big Ten champions. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i going to go different. I think you're going to see a three-way tie in the East between Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. However the tiebreaker breaks out, I'm going to say Ohio State makes it out of the East. I'm going to say Iowa makes it out of the West. So that would put Ohio State uh, beating Iowa. I don't think Iowa would be strong enough. The tiebreaker could be wrong, but I think Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State all end up with one loss. And I just think however the tiebreaker works out, it's going to impact Ohio State and give them the nod. And then the other two fan bases will be upset of how it all worked out. <laughs> Always. Wouldn't be college football if somebody wasn't bitching. I, I don't know which who beats who. I think it could go anyway. I think Ohio State could lose to Penn State. Reality, I think Ohio State loses to Michigan but beats Penn State because it's in Columbus. And I think Penn State beats Michigan because it's in State College. I think everybody just wins at home. That makes sense. So if my tiebreaker is wrong, somebody can tell me in the comments of what it actually would be. I don't have no idea. This is just me going with my gut. Um, And then I have Ohio State beating Iowa. A couple listener questions here. First one is, what do you give the – what do you give the chances of three Big Ten teams making the playoffs from Buckeye Bengals on Twitter? Nothing. Zero. Yeah, literally impossible. I'm yeah, yeah. If this was a twelve team playoff, ninety percent. But it, it just you've seen two teams from both the SEC and the Big Ten may get in one year. And I think that will be the limit as long as it is four teams. Um I think you could see two in again if you get the same situation that kind of played out last year where you get a thirteen and Michigan and an eleven and one um, Ohio State team, and it, you know all the the chips fall again. Where you have USC beating their conference championship and 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 things of that nature. But three teams 
yeah, not happening. No, it's a, you would need some serious chaos, and you would need a lot of two-loss teams. You would basically need Georgia to run through the SEC undefeated, uh, the ACC to all beat each other up. You would need the Pac-12 to beat each other up, and the Pac-12 will almost certainly beat themselves up anyways. But you would need everybody to have two losses for that to even be a possibility. And I don't even think that's going to happen. Somebody out of a conference is going to finish with one yeah. loss. Yeah. And then you throw in the fact of, does a group of five team go undefeated? And can you justify them at that point? Right. Yeah. It it would be 2007 levels of chaos to see those three. I'm here for it. <laughs> Big 10 teams in the playoff. And then from our friend, Will, um, walk on moose, go follow him on Twitter. What does Wisconsin's offense look like with Fickle? Do they continue to run? They, they continue with run dominant schemes, or do they move towards a more modern offense? We kind of alluded to this a little bit. Want to kind of get your thoughts on if where where do they make the change? How how much change do they make? I think it's something that's going to slowly evolve during the season, and it is dependent on the results. And that sounds like a cop out, but that's a lot of how these teams kind of play this out, right? Is I think initially Wisconsin is going to stick to a very run heavy style of offense because you just need to get everybody going, get those wins, get on to the next week. But as you come across better and better defenses, especially when you get into conference play, you have to be able to throw the ball to win those games. And so I think it will evolve to the point where it will be balanced. I think that's what Wisconsin should seek out. I don't, they're not built for air raid. And we've seen that that uh, run heavy doesn't always work out well for them. Uh, you don't want to be one dimensional one way or the other. So I think it will with a lot of their same uh, running styles and, and run plays uh, kind of intertwined throughout. Yeah, I I think it will be more explosive. They'll definitely open it up in the passing game more. But Luke Fickle knows what he's got at a running back. He's not just going to waste Ches Malusi and Braylon Allen back there. He's going to use them. They don't have the dominant wide receivers to completely open it up yet. But I like where it's trending. Absolutely. Well, that's all the listener questions we have. Cole, appreciate you taking the time to talk about the Big Ten. Only about a month away from football and can't wait. Absolutely, sir. Thank you for having me on. Make sure to like, subscribe, rate, anything on all your favorite podcast platforms. And this has been another episode of The Walk on Red Shirts.